0: You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is Episode 90. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City story universe. You can find out more about this setting at metamorecity.com, and you can learn about my other work at chrislester.org. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you, and keep you up to date on my life and my writing. So, let's get started with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you my Metamore City audio drama, Rafa Aliri and the Ghostly Bride. This show was recorded live at Balticon 50, last year in Baltimore, Maryland. Up to now, it has only appeared as a bonus episode for patrons of the Patreon campaign. This is the first time it is being shared with a wider audience. This performance would not have been possible without the outstanding contributions of my Metamore City players. Stick around after the show. There's a live Q&A with the audience, and then I'll have the cast credits, along with my weekly writing report and some listener feedback. And now, here's the show. All right, we got a big show for you today, so let's go ahead and get started. Ladies and gentlemen, the Metamore City players are proud to introduce Rafa Galiri and the Ghostly Bride. It was a cold night in the middle of April, and the city wore fog like a funeral shroud. The cold arctic air had blown in from the giant downs just after sunset, running smack into a warm, humid front rolling in off the sea of stars. The result? Instant clouds had filled this narrow valley from top to bottom. All those great towers and their four layers of skyways along with them were buried like my grandma Yazoo's brownies under half a can of whipped cream. Down here at street level, there was nothing to see but the concrete underfoot, and a mass of dim, dirty gray in all directions. You might think a street rat like me wouldn't care much about the weather. We're standing under concrete and steel more often than not, so most days, the weather report's about the same, mostly shady with the chance of violence. But I'm not from around here, originally. I'm Lutin from the wide open spaces of Inu Lutonaka. Up there, the weather can kill you faster than you could say, freeze and fog. So my people have learned to keep a wary eye on it. And let me tell you, when you're out in pea soup like this, it's bad news for everybody. I was on my way home after a long day of watching the wallpaper peel in my office. Business had been slow for months now and the old bank account was looking mighty thin. If I was still working on my own, that might not be such a big deal. I can move out of my apartment, sleep in the office, eat at the community kitchen, you know the drill. But I'm not on my own anymore and my office is currently occupied by a seven foot tall daedra with razor sharp claws and teeth and a taste for raw innards. I call her Betty and she works for me, but only as long as I hold up my end of the bargain. If the day ever comes that I can't keep her fed and sheltered, she'll be within her rights to turn me into Luton Tartar. Oh, she'd probably be sad about it. She likes me in her way, but that just means she'd need one napkin to wipe her tears away and another to wipe my blood off her hands. So there I was, walking out into the pea-soup nothingness and pondering my much-too-imminent mortality. I needed a break, and I needed it fast. I'm not used to the spirits giving me what I need, so it was a big surprise when a long black skimmer floated out of the fog and pulled up to the curb next to me.
1: Need a ride, Mr. O'Leary?
0: I don't know. Grandmother always said to avoid accepting rides from strange humans. Granted, she was talking about men on horseback, but...
1: I went by your office, but it was closed. I'm so glad I caught you. It appears to be a dangerous night to walk alone. And I have a business matter I wish to discuss with you. Why don't we help one another?
0: I... Yeah, okay. Why not? Excellent. Climb on in. (coughs) Wow. Heated leather seats. Very nice, Mr... Baron Tristan Halver, at your service. Baron, eh? And you came down to my part of town yourself? This is a sensitive matter, Mr. Leary.
1: I dare not entrust it to a courier.
0: All right, well, here I am, my lord. What's on your mind?
1: Of late, nothing but my intended. The lovely Lady Isabel of House Mallory. We were to be wedded in less than a month. Ah,
0: um, were? I uh, take it congratulations are no longer in order? No,
1: they are not, Mr. O'Leary. Five days ago, Isabel was found dead in our penthouse bathroom. Spirits, that's horrible. How did she die? That's the thing. The police say it was suicide. I believe it was murder. Murder? What makes you say that? Because two nights ago, Isabel's body was stolen from the morgue at Brightleaf General Hospital. The night before the medical examiner was to perform her autopsy... I believe that someone killed her, made it look like a suicide, and then stole the body before the flaws in their fakery could be discovered. That's certainly possible.
0: Uh, What do you want me to do
1: for you, Lord Havard? I want to put you on retainer. I believe your custom is 1,000 marks per week, is it not?
0: Uh, Yeah, plus expenses. Here is 2,000 marks.
1: I want you to find out where my beloved's body was taken, and who was responsible. If it is possible to learn the truth of why she died, I wish to know it. But more than anything, I must give my Isabelle a proper funeral. That, above all, is paramount.
0: I see. Uh, That's more important than finding out if she was murdered? Indeed it is.
1: Do you know why I chose you, Mr.
0: O'Leary? Because O'Leary Investigations is the first detective listing in the phone book?
1: (coughs) No, Mr. O'Leary, because you are a Luton. Your people believe that the spirits of the dead remain with us, do you not? That they watch us, guide us, counsel us, comfort us? The,
0: uh, I mean, yeah, that's a part of it. What we call spirits, though, they're more than just the ghosts of dead people.
1: But the dead are included in their number, are they not? Sure, Lord how? what's all this about? I tried to tell them, but no one believed me. But I knew you would be different, Mr. O'Leary. Different how? Didn't believe what? I am being haunted, Mr. O'Leary. These last two nights, the spirit of Isabel came to visit me, and neither she nor I will have any rest until her body is at peace.
0: The next morning, Lord Halvard's driver picked me up and delivered me to Halvard Tower. It's not the newest super skyscraper in Metamore City. It's not the oldest either, or the fanciest, or the creepiest, or even the plainest. It's just sort of there. In any other city in the world, it would be a famous landmark, the tallest building around. Here in Metamore City, it's just part of the crowd. Thank you again for coming, Mr. O'Leary. Not a problem, my lord. Where should we get started? In the
1: master suite, I think. Follow me, if you please.
0: The rest of the tower might have been nothing to write home about, but Lord Halvard and Lady Isabel's apartment was a different story. I'm no interior decorator, but I know the difference between classy and just expensive. Whoever did this place was definitely the first kind. I took off my shoes and followed Lord Halvard to the master suite.
1: This is where the haunting took place. I was asleep on my side of the bed there when I heard Isabel calling my name. I looked to this window over here and she was there standing right on the ledge
0: outside. Whoa, that's a long way down. I'm dizzy just looking at that. What was she doing? She had her hands
1: pressed up to the glass, like this. (laughs) And she was looking at me. I could hear her voice, but it seemed to be coming from far away.
0: Huh. Lord Halva, please don't take this the wrong way, but I gotta ask. How do you know you weren't just dreaming about Isabel? That was my thought as well, Mr.
1: O'Leary. The first time it happened, it did feel dreamlike. I suppose I was still half asleep. But as I stood there, my senses came back to me, and I realized that Isabel couldn't truly be here. And yet here she was, as clear as life before me. I began to ask her questions. Why she had done it? Was she unhappy? Was I a poor fiancé? I'm afraid I was babbling to tell the truth. Babbling?
0: Surely not.
1: I'm afraid so. <laughs> Isabel seemed upset then, and before she could answer any of my questions, she vanished right before my eyes.
0: Spooky. Uh, has anyone else seen a ghost? Maybe a family? I don't know. They won't speak to me since her death. What, not at all? I, I get that her body was stolen, but isn't in there going to be some kind of memorial service? Presumably, yes, but it appears
1: I am as dead to them as poor Isabel. I wish I knew why.
0: I guess you never know how people are going to react to something like this. When did Isabel die?
1: Over here, in the master bathroom. Isabel was always quite fond of our clawfoot bathtub. She would lay in it for an hour, or more. Imagine my shock when I came home to find her veins slit open, her body cold. Spirits.
0: No sign of a struggle?
1: Not as far as I know,
0: but remember, the medical examiner never got the chance to perform an autopsy. Yeah, okay, but still, I water on the floor, stuff knocked over. If she'd been fighting back, there ought to be some kind of clues. You cannot say a person was willing for something to happen merely
1: because there are no signs they fought back, Mr. O'Leary. As a person of rather diminutive stature, I would have thought you would realize that.
0: Fair point, my lord. My apologies.
1: Apology accepted. Isabel's health had been delicate for some time. The hot baths were a comfort to her, but even getting in and out of them was a great effort. It's unlikely she would have had the strength to resist her attacker if attacked she was.
0: Got it. Who else had access to this place?
1: Officially? The security staff and our two house servants. But Isabel could have brought in a guest. Or perhaps a visitor, someone she knew well. Someone in
0: her own family, perhaps. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Did you know who she was seeing lately? If we can retrace her steps, it might give us a clue. I don't know offhand, but... Wait... Where did I
1: leave that? Aha,
0: here. A smartphone, but it has a passcode.
1: Oh, it's 2293. Isabel and I had no secrets from each other. 2293, hey, it worked. I must leave you now, Mr. O'Leary. There is some house business to which I must attend. Feel free to have a look around. The guard at the door will see you back to the garage when you are ready.
0: All right, I'll be in touch as soon as I got anything. I spent the next half an hour going over Lady Isabel's phone, learning whatever I could. Her calendar was packed with appointments. Charity functions, brunches, and afternoon teas, all the things you'd expect for a lady of her stature. But there were other appointments, too, with doctors, hospital labs, lawyers, and financial planners. I was starting to wonder if Isabel's delicate health was more serious than Lord Halvard had let on, and whether Lord Halvard knew it everybody hides things from the people they love and the ones who are loudest about how they don't are usually the ones with the biggest secrets before i left halvard tower i had lord halvard's driver take me to the baron's office i waited around a bit and caught him between meetings what is it mr
1: o'leary i'm afraid i haven't long my 11 o'clock is already waiting for me
0: i need another angle on lady isabel can you put me in touch with some of her close friends i can try i'm
1: afraid i didn't spend much time with them Isabel made most of her social calls alone.
0: What about the guest list for the wedding? Anybody important to it would have to be on there, right?
1: Oh, of course. Excellent thinking, Mr. O'Leary. I'll have someone forward the list to you immediately.
0: Perfect. I'll be in touch soon, Your Lordship. Very good. Thank you, Mr. O'Leary. The list was already waiting in my inbox when I got back to my office. It was a hell of a list. I should have known that. For nobles, there's no such thing as a small wedding. It was time to call in some backup. Hey, Betty. I need your help on a project. Hey, boss. We finally got a case? Yep, and it's a case full of dead fish left out in the sun, because this stinks to the ninth heaven.
2: Oh, you're making me hungry, boss. (laughs) What you got for me?
0: A dead bride, a haunted groom, a few thousand invitees for the aborted nuptials. I need you to stop making calls. Figure out which of these folks were just invited because they had to be, and which ones were the bride's real close friends. Right now, it's looking like the girl offed herself, and I need to talk to the people who might know why.
2: Can do, boss. If anyone knows anything, I got ways to make
0: them talk. <laughs> I appreciate the enthusiasm, hon, but let's skip the torture sessions this time, okay?
2: Aw, uh, that's what you say every time.
0: Can't keep you in chicken livers and sheep hearts if you scare off all my potential clients, Betty Beautiful. Just narrow down the list for me. I'll do the rest.
2: You got it, boss.
0: Thanks. I'm going out again. I'll be back in a few hours.
2: Okay. Hey, you're dressed up kind of fancy, boss. You're meeting someone special?
0: You could say that. (laughs) Betty had a lot of research to do, and that would keep her busy for hours. The angle I was working would be faster, but a hell of a lot trickier. There was information out there that would help me with my case, but the people who had it weren't supposed to share it with people like me. I had to persuade somebody to do something they really shouldn't. Time for some social engineering.
1: Hello, sir. Can I help
0: you? Good afternoon. My name is Leary. Is this the Forensic Investigation Division? Yes, it is. What can I do for you today? I'm a claim adjuster for Imperial Allied Life and Health. I was hoping to speak to the person in charge.
1: Certainly, sir. Could I see some ID? Of course. Here you are. Very good, sir. I'll see if our head medical examiner is available.
0: Please have a seat. Thank you. This, my friends, is social engineering. People want to be helpful, especially if you show respect and you push the right buttons for their culture and social standing. With no more than a few words and a nicely printed ID card, I had access to the people in charge. Now, if you're looking to try this at home, here's a mark's worth of free advice. Don't try to impersonate a government official. Oh, sure, it's tempting to pretend you have some power over people, but it's a lot harder to pull off. And if you get caught, you're probably going to go to jail. Not like it's an option for me, anyway. There may be lutons in government here in Metamore, but not anywhere they're going to face the public. Old prejudices die hard. So I keep the hat of a private citizen. Just one that's got a reason to ask for the kind of information I'm looking for.
3: Mr. O'Leary.
0: Yes, I... I... Leary's my name, all right, but the woman who walked out from the back nearly made me forget it. Long black hair, skin like polished ivory, a body as lean and taut as it dances, and eyes like two bottomless black pools, eyes that could pull you in and drown you. I knew what eyes like that meant, and suddenly this case was a lot more trouble than I'd imagined. The dame was a vampire, and looking a vampire in the eyes is a one-way trip to a psychic head screw. I looked down at my shoes real fast.
3: I'm Dr. Morgan Drawling, the head examiner. You wanted to speak to me?
0: Um, yes. uh, Yes, I did. I'm following up on a life insurance claim by Baron David Mallory uh, with regard to his daughter, Isabel. I understand it was a suicide?
3: I'm afraid I can't comment on an ongoing investigation.
0: I understand, ma'am. It's just, I have this file that says that Lady Isabel was found in a bathtub with a wrist cut. Seems like a pretty obvious suicide to me.
3: Ah. I see you have been briefed. Those details were never mentioned in the press.
0: Yes, ma'am. Now, obviously, if Lady Isabel took her own life, the insurance policy would be void. But the father is contesting that. He says somebody killed her. I'm trying to figure out why he would say that.
3: Because children are very rarely the people their parents believe them to be. Lord Mallory is seeing what he needs to see.
0: Then there's no way it could have been foul play?
3: Could it have been? Perhaps. As I'm sure you've been told, the body was taken before I could conduct a full autopsy. We may never know for certain. I'm sorry, Mr. O'Leary, but I'm afraid I can't give you anything that would satisfy Lord Mallory.
0: I'm sorry to hear that, ma'am. Lady Isabel's body was in your custody for three days, wasn't it? Why hadn't an autopsy already been done?
3: Take a look at the city, Mr. O'Leary. There's no shortage of dead bodies here. Lady Isabel's death saddened everyone who knew her, but I wouldn't call it a surprise. There was no rush order, so I assigned it a lower priority. That way my deputies and I could focus on more difficult cases before the evidence had a chance to degrade.
0: I see. Um, Why do you say her death wasn't a surprise?
3: She and I had mutual friends in the peerage. Lady Isabel had been ill for some time. I don't think she told anyone what was wrong, But the poor woman just withered. She was in pain. Is it any wonder that she would choose to free herself from it? (laughs) But of course, you'll never convince her father of that.
0: I suppose I'll have to try. Could you tell me who these friends are? The ones who knew about her illness? Maybe they would be willing to try to convince him.
3: Mr. O'Leary, my friends are grieving a woman they loved. I realize you have a job to do but I will not intrude on their privacy by sending a claims adjuster to their door, or a detective for that matter.
0: Um, I'm sorry, a detective, ma'am?
3: Good day, Mr. O'Leary. Tell Tristan Halvard I send my condolences.
0: Okay, so maybe that wasn't my finest moment in social engineering. Dr. Drowling was a smarter cookie than I gave her credit for. Still, she let slip one important detail. There was no rush order on the body. Rush orders cost money. It's true in every other area of life, so it stands to reason it's true for autopsies, too. Normally, money isn't a problem for guys like Lord Halvard, so it struck me as odd that he wouldn't have paid for a rush on his beloved bride, especially if he thought she was murdered. Something didn't add up. To find out why, I would have to make a call.
4: Thank you for calling the Occidental Underwriters. How can I help you today?
0: Uh, hi, this is Randall Thompson at Imperial Bank and Trust. I'm trying to run a mortgage application for a client, but your automated system keeps kicking me out. I was hoping you could tell me what I'm doing wrong.
4: Certainly, sir. And who is the applicant? Baron Tristan Halvard? Uh, I see. Uh, Mr. Thompson, have you done mortgages for the nobility before? Uh, no, this is my first one. Why? Uh, Householdings are entailed property, sir. Baron Halbert can't sell it or lose it for any reason. That makes them worthless as collateral. If you gave him a mortgage on his land, it would be like handing him a pile of cash. He could just walk away with the money and you couldn't do a thing to stop him.
0: Huh. Oh, uh, wow. Land that can't be sold or given away, huh? wish my people had gotten a deal like that. Pardon? Nothing. Never mind. Um... Look, I appreciate the tip, but he wasn't trying to scam me. Lord Halvard was just looking at some vacation properties down south. He just came in for a pre-approval.
4: Ah, in that case, I strongly advise you to decline. I'm seeing multiple delinquents account for Lord Halvard. He's already sought loans from three or four other banks in the last twelve months.
0: Spirits, he must be in some serious trouble.
4: It would seem so, yes, but at least he won't lose his home.
0: Yeah, I... Guess not. Uh, Thanks for your
4: help. Of course. Good luck, sir. I hope the Baron doesn't take the news too badly.
0: Yeah, me too. (sighs) So, what did I know? That Baron Halvard was in some serious money trouble for reasons unknown. That Lady Isabel had been sick enough that suicide might have seemed like the best option. And that somebody was awfully determined to make sure that no one got a close look at Lady Isabel's body. Who'd want to do something like that? maybe the same person who wanted Lord Halvard to think he was being haunted. It was time for this private eye to play Peeping Tom. I paid another visit to Halvard Tower that afternoon, where I set up a hidden camera in the Baron's bedroom. Then I booked a hotel room in one of the neighboring towers, one that had a balcony with a clear line of sight to Lord Halvard's bedroom. Rooms that high up ain't cheap but Halbert was paying expenses on this case, and if I could catch the con artists in the act, it would be money well spent. I wouldn't have said this to my client, but I never seriously considered that there might actually be a ghost. Not that the spirits don't exist. They do, and as any shaman can tell you, they're all around us. But most spirits are really, really weak. They have a hard time making themselves known, even to most Lutons, And as for humans, well, your average human is about as spiritually perceptive as a fire hydrant. If Lady Isabel was appearing to Halvard from beyond the grave, then she was one ghost in a billion. The odds that somebody was conning him were much better. So, as night fell over the city, I set up my equipment: a field scope, my camera with the big telephoto lens, my laptop with a live feed to the hidden camera, a radio scanner that would pick up most two-way communicators, a comfortable folding chair, a big cup of coffee, and a fine assortment of unhealthy stakeout foods. I sat back, trained my scope on the penthouse, watched, and waited. The fog rolled in at around 10 that night, blanketing the city in a haze of gray. We were above the worst of it at this height. The tattered wisps of cloud churned up and danced through the air between the towers. I won't lie, some of them looked pretty damn strange, especially in the dappled pattern of city lights. I was ready to blame the whole haunting on a grieving man's overactive imagination. But then, right around midnight, I saw something. What in the hell? On the hidden camera, I saw Baron Halvard get out of bed. He moved slowly, stiffly, like a marionette in the hands of an arthritic puppeteer. He went to the window like a man caught in a dream, and when he reached the glass, I went back to my field scope and looked up at the apartment and I'll be damned if a woman didn't take shape right before my eyes. Tristan. Is he? She appeared right out of one of those wisps of fog and stood on the window ledge like it was steady ground, not a strip of marble a handspan wide and more than a kilometer up in the air. She was wearing this gauzy white dress, and the wind was whipping it around like crazy, but she didn't even seem to notice. She pressed her hands up to the glass. I could see Harvard on the other side, and maybe she was saying something to him, but it was too far away to hear. Harvard was staring at her. I could just see his face in the light of the window, and he looked checked out, like a zombie or a sleepwalker. I didn't know what was going on, but whatever it was, it wasn't anything good. I pulled out my phone.
5: Tristan, we can be together.
0: Yeah, Is he? Come on, come on, Halvard. Oh, I sure hope you've got your phone with you.
5: Open the window, Tristan.
1: Ah!
0: At first I was afraid it wasn't going to work, but then Halvard snapped out of it, and I saw him stagger back into the room, away from the window. The woman vanished, just blew away with the fog, soon as she'd arrived. Halvard picked up the phone a few seconds later.
1: O'Leary, did you see that? Tell me you saw that.
0: I saw it. I don't know what the hell I saw, but I saw it. You mind if I come over, ask you some questions?
1: No, not not at all, Mr. O'Leary. I, I don't think I'll be able to sleep again tonight, in any case.
0: Yeah, that makes two of us. I double-timed it across the skyway and up to Lord Halvard's penthouse. He was wearing one of those thick robes that some rich people like, and he had a snifter of brandy and one shaking hand.
1: O'Leary, w- welcome. Can I uh offer you a drink?
0: Please and thank you. I've seen some things in my day, but damn... So, what do you remember?
1: It's so fuzzy, like a dream. I remember she was calling my name. It felt like her voice was all around me.
0: You came to the window, you saw her up close. You sure it was really her?
1: If it wasn't her, it was a very good illusion. She looked just as she did when I found her in the bathtub. I'll never forget how pale she was, how cold.
0: Did she say anything else?
1: I think... yes. Yes, she wanted me to... open the window. She said... we could be together again. Oh, gods, Illyria! What if she tried to make me kill myself?
0: Oh, that'd be a good way to do it. It's a hell of a drop.
1: Oh, gods! My Izzy! She's angry at me because I haven't solved her murder, she can't rest, and and she's now coming for me for revenge! Oh! Izzy!
0: Halvard! Get a grip on yourself, man. (laughs) We don't know that. We don't know anything. Just, just take a deep breath. Okay, okay. All right, look, I'm gonna call in an expert on this. There's this girl I heard of. She's done good work on the whole ghost hunting line. She's supposed to be good at figuring out what ghosts want, helping them find their peace or whatever. I'll give her a call in the morning.
1: Oh, all right, Valyrie. What should I do tonight? What if she comes back?
0: You want my advice? Don't be here. Look, I'm not saying this is what it is, but if she is an angry ghost and she wants revenge on you, you don't want to be here or anywhere around here. Go get a hotel room or something. Oh, I will. Thank you, Mr. O'Leary. One ghost in a billion. Damn, O'Leary, what have you gotten yourself into? It took a good chunk of the morning before I finally got a hold of our ghost hunter. She provides her services on a sliding scale, so it took a while longer for her, me, and Halvard to come to an agreement on price. When everyone was finally happy, Halvard sent me and his driver to go fetch her and bring her back to the tower. Halvard was waiting for us in the garage when we got back.
1: Welcome to Halvard Tower, Miss Preston. Thank you for coming on such short notice.
2: Of course, Lord Halvard. I'm happy to help. Mr. O'Leary says you've been seeing the ghost of your fiancé?
1: Yes. My Isabel. She comes to visit me around midnight, and she calls to me. But I don't know
0: what she wants.
2: Ah. But you think you know, don't you?
1: I...
0: yes. He's afraid she wants him to kill himself.
2: Oh, heavens.
1: How horrible. Where has this been happening? Come right this way. I'll show you.
0: Abby Preston doesn't look like a shaman. She's a human, for starters, and she doesn't go in for anything flashy. Her face, clothes, and body type are all average. Nothing about her stands out, except for one lock of gold in her otherwise brown hair. But to make no <coughs> mistake, Abby has the sight. I hear from sources I trust that she's helped a lot of people, and a lot of things that used to be people. If anyone could help us get to the bottom of this, I figured Abby would be the one to do it. In here, this is where she appeared to me, right in that window.
2: Alright,
1: let me see what I can see. What is she doing? Why is she sitting on the floor? And why did her eyes just turn white? Abby can see
0: spirits. Word is they can sense her. Come to her from anywhere nearby, like flies to honey. As I understand it, she just stepped over to the other side. If there's anybody there, she'll find them and talk to him.
1: <sighs> Miss Preston, are you alright? What did you see? Was she there? Did you see my Izzy? Lord Halvard, I'm so
2: sorry for your loss.
1: Then you did see her.
2: I saw her illness, lying here day after day, in constant pain from the tumors inside her, weak and sick from the death magic and the radiation therapy. So many hours lonely and afraid.
1: I I did all I could. I was with her every moment I could spare. And we didn't stay here all the time. I took her out, she had her lunches with her friends.
2: But she couldn't tell them what was wrong. Lord Halvard, I can see the memories of Isabel. She was this bright, glowing presence when she first came here, so alive. The cancer took that from her. Did you really think she could be content with the little that was left? I, I...
0: So, Lady Isabel's ghost really was here?
2: Strangely, no. All I saw were shades. They're like, um, emotional fingerprints, left behind by powerful experiences. Sometimes, that includes a person's death. But I didn't see that here. Only her suffering.
0: Really? You know, uh, Lady Isabel died over here in the bathroom. Let's check it out and uh, give Halvard some privacy. Abby, did Halvard- Halvard
2: knew about the cancer, yes. And he told her not to tell anyone about it until after the wedding. They had a big fight about that. Right here in the bedroom. It left a really big shade.
0: Could you tell why?
2: Halvard was afraid that Isabel's father would call off the wedding.
0: Which would mean her money would go back to her father when she died instead of going to Halvard. That's why Halvard thinks Isabel was murdered. He thinks her own father killed her to hold on to the family fortune. Damn, that's cold.
2: Would her father really do that? To his own daughter?
0: I got no idea. I never met the guy. Look, this is the room where she died. Can you snoop around in here, see if you can figure out what happened?
2: I can try. She was here, in the tub...
0: Yeah, uh here, let me help you in there. The sides on this tub are crazy high.
2: And uh, thank you. Okay, here it goes. I I can see her lying here. I see her cutting her wrists. I see the blood running out of her I Leary, she wasn't alone.
0: What? Can you see who it was?
2: No, but think about it. She was so weak, she could barely walk on her own. Someone had to help her into the tub.
0: The spirits, you're right. But I don't get it. If she wasn't alone, why can't you see who was with them?
2: Some beings don't leave impressions on the world, the way humans and lutins do. Elves never leave shades or ghosts. I'm not sure why. Maybe they're too in tune with themselves or something.
0: Not a lot of elves here in Metamore, Abbey. Is there any other kind of creature that doesn't leave a mock?
2: Yes, one other that I know of. Then
0: she told me. And at that point, everything made sense. All I had to do now was prove it. It took a few more calls and most of the day to get everything I needed. I had to be sneaky about it too. And when you're dealing with public figures like Lord Halvard, that ain't easy to do. I ended up keeping him in the dock about most of what we had planned. And if I was right, he'd find out soon enough. As night fell and the Baron got ready for bed, I set up my camera again and put my last pieces into place.
1: Mr. O'Leary, I don't mean to tell you how to do your
0: job. Oh, good. You wouldn't believe how many of my clients do that. But, uh... And there's another one.
1: I... I don't quite understand why you have a...
0: a water gun. water gun? My dear Lord Halbert this is no mere water gun. This is an Aquastorm X-2000 with dual pressurized water tanks capable of delivering a constant stream to the target at a distance of more than 10 meters. See, it says so right here on the box. Oh, yes, so I see, but uh, what is it for? All in due time, my lord. Now remember, when Lady Isabel shows up, if you wake up, just keep pretending like you're still in a trance. Whatever you feel like she's telling you to do, just go with it. But what if she wants me to, to throw myself out the window? Don't you worry, my lord. That's why I'm here. Your safety is my number one concern. Now could you lend me one of those pillows? I'm gonna lie down in the closet till she gets here. (laughs) The lights went out. Lord Halvard climbed into bed. And then the waiting started. I'm pretty good at waiting. I might say it's in the blood. In the old country, a leopon hunter might sit in the same spot for hours for his prey to pass by, still in his body, quieting his heartbeat and his breathing, waiting for that one crucial moment when he's in the right place at the right time to land the killing blow. The minutes and hours flickered by on Halvet's digital clock, which I could see through the slats in his closet door. Outside the window, the night fog gathered, and on the stroke of midnight, a shadowy figure took shape outside the bedroom window. Tristan. She raised her hands and pressed them to the glass. Her eyes glowed a faint yellow-green like a cat's. Come Lord Halvard me sat up.
5: Come my Tristan. Izzy. Good. Come to me, my love.
1: Coming... To you.
0: Halvard was at the window. He raised his hand.
5: Open the window, Tristan. Open window. Very good, my love. Now, may I please come in?
1: Come, um, come
5: in? Yes, my love. Let me come to you. Let me in yes i know darling but you have to say it let me come inside
0: you know i had something for this something about consent and coming inside nope it's gone
5: who the hell are you
0: oh that's not important sweetheart you're here for tristan i'm just here to get you wet first Holy water, five marks a bottle at the Mariah's church. Can you believe it? It cost me like a hundred smackers to fill this thing. O'Leary, she's burning. Why is she burning? The same reason she can't come in without an invitation.
6: Lady Isabel Mallory, this is Agent Kelsey Stanton of the Lasanasi Order. Come down with your hands behind your head.
0: And the same reason those nice people in the white combat suits want to have a word with her.
5: (coughs) What? But I haven't done anything wrong!
0: Actually, you have. Fledgling vampires are required to report their undead status to the Lightbringers within three business days of their resuscitation. They're gonna have some questions for you. Oh, and that little problem of trying to control the mind of a mortal without their consent.
4: Milady,
3: if you don't come down here, we will be forced to open fire.
0: Ooh, yeah, I'd avoid that if I were you. Lightbringers carry these special bullets for dealing with vampires. You thought this squirt gun was unpleasant? Maybe you'll see what white phosphorus does to you.
5: Why are you doing this? All I wanted was to be free from pain.
0: Only the spirits feel no pain, sweetheart. Down here, you just trade one kind for another. The Lightbringers took Lady Isabel into custody and brought Lord Halvin down for observation, just in case he had some kind of psychic programming that hadn't showed itself yet. Me? I went back to my flat for some much needed shut-eye. And hey, thanks to Lord Halvard's retainer, I no longer had to worry about my landlady throttling me in my sleep. The next day, I sent my final bill off to Lord Halvard. I still didn't know how he'd gotten himself into so much money trouble, but that was none of my business, so I didn't pry. Maybe he'd try to stiff me, but I doubted it. Seemed like a decent chum for a Skywalker, and the expenses of one little detective would be small potatoes for a guy like him. I hoped I was clear of that case. Back to my usual street level grind, but my instincts told me otherwise. They were proved right three days later when a tall and elegant woman came to my office.
2: Hey, boss, you got a visitor? Hey, it's the one you flagged on Lady Isabel's guest list.
0: Thanks, Betty. Send her in.
6: Good evening, Mr. O'Leary.
0: Good evening, vampire. That's close enough, thank you. And if you think about trying anything funny, remember that my demon bodyguard is waiting just outside.
6: Really, Mr. O'Leary? This is all entirely unnecessary. I mean, you know no huh? harm.
0: Sure, sure. Sorry, toots, but every time I get mixed up with vampires, somebody ends up trying to stick a straw down my neck. So forgive me if I ain't in a trusting mood.
6: As you wish. I want to compliment you on your work for Lord Halford. I didn't expect anyone to piece it together so quickly.
0: So you're the one who turned Lady Isabel. I figured it had to be you or Drowling. She had access to the body, and you were the only vampire on the guest list for the wedding.
6: Yes, it was me. Morgan has misgivings about siring another. Never mind that Isabel was dying, a slow and cruel death. Oh
0: spare me the sob stories. The world's full of dying people. Most of them wouldn't let themselves be turned into blood-sucking monsters to avoid it.
6: So you think Morgan is a monster then? A doctor? A medical examiner? Turned against her will? A rebel against those who changed her?
0: Every rule's got an exception. I ain't enough of a betting man to think I'd meet two of them.
6: (laughs) Oh. But you misunderstand me, detective. I am a monster. A monster who hunts other monsters. And the biggest monster of them all, the vampire prince, Malcolm Odvalas, he's at the top of my list. Well, hooray for
0: you. What's it got to do with me?
6: Well, that's up to you, Mr. O'Leary. As I said, I'm impressed by your work. And with Malcolm and his syndicate in my sights, I need people like you. Smart, capable investigators who can gather the information I need and not be noticed. So, you tell me, Mr. O'Leary, how would you like some work on Retainer?
0: I didn't get into this job to be a hero. Little guys like me try to keep our heads down, to steer clear of the big bad monsters who fight it out for control of this city. But for a long time now, I've been seeing the little guys get stepped on. And scumbags like Malcolm Advalas were the number one reason why. I ain't saying I trusted this Amelie Grace. I kept that scatter gun pointed at her for most of an hour. But she talked, and I listened. And that's a story for another night. Ladies and
4: gentlemen, the Metamorph City Bears!
0: We've got a few minutes for questions, if anybody has them. Yes sir, Wolfpack.
1: How much effort does it take to actually, when you're not doing it all together in person, to take all of the different recordings from all the different people, stitch them together for to something that's visible? <laughs> <doesn't... laughs> More than you
4: think.
0: More than you think. On, <laughs> on average, you can, you can estimate that it will probably take you about, oh, 30 minutes per minute of finished audio.
6: This is why he (laughs) likes doing the live shows
4: here. Yes. (laughs) How long will it (laughs) be before we see more of our Alpaca lyrics?
0: Oh, I don't know. Probably next (laughs) Baltico. No, we need to
4: know
5: what she
0: wanted. You'll find out. Read Just Coffee and you'll get some hints. (laughs) Yes. Um, so I run a weekly show. It's called The Raven and the Writing Desk. And uh, so every week I report back on how I've been doing on my writing. My goal is to write at least an hour a day, six days a week, and then podcast on the weekends, what I've been working on. And uh, right now I'm going through my second Metamore City novel, Things Unseen. Um, it's a little more than halfway done. And uh, that's just, that's a solo read show. The original Metamore City podcast, which ran from 2007 to 2011, was full cast. But I don't have time to do that and write new stories, so.
6: Is it an
0: application? What's if you have deed? the iTunes store uh, and you search for Chris Lester and Metamore City, you can find it there. It'll pop right up in, in iTunes or any other um, podcatcher application.
4: Have you put your podcast up on uh, Google Play Music yet? I was about to ask.
0: I have this. not. You'll have to talk, to, tell me about that. And I'm working on getting it converted for YouTube so that I can make it a YouTube channel as well.
4: Does Raymond the Writing Desk have an audio promo that other podcasts could use to help you promote it?
0: Not yet, but I will work on that, good sir. Is <laughs> there the audio programs are completely free. You get one episode a week, uh, each of which is about, I want to say, something between two and 3,000 words of, of uh, story content.
4: I'm going to ask an expert a different question. About how long would you say it would take to mainline all of what's already exists. <laughs> oh, I
3: I, walked, I listened to the back episodes it took me maybe about a year to listen to the back episodes and I was listening on like all of the commuting times. So, so there's still, a lot of good stuff out there already and
1: this one. I am still very slowly yeah. catching up. It's fun, but it's time. <laughs> I'm ahead.
6: <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> so there are archives down at paper site?
0: Yeah, you can they're at t- yeah, metamorecity.com. Exactly. You can uh, click on okay. past episodes at the top. <laughs> yep. Thank you, Beth. And,
5: and and is there a Raven and the Writing Desk site or is it all on Metamore City?
0: So Raven and the Writing Desk, uh, its official home is at my blog, chrislester.org. And uh, so that's where you'll find, that's sort of my, my front page now for all of my work. And it has links to my my writing and my audio production services, if you're interested in hiring me as a voice actor or an editor or a, an audio producer. And it also has the link to the Liminal to Corvid Press, which is my, my small press input that the books are published through. If you want to buy the books, they are for sale. Uh, they are at the dealer's table for Scott Pond Designs over in uh, the dealer's room. Uh, look for the big flip chart of posters. And uh, so I'm, I'm there.
5: Do you have uh, any on, uh, audio um,
0: versions? There are no audio books available yet. I am working on the audiobook for Things Unseen in parallel with, with producing the podcast. For copyright reasons on the music and sound effects that I used, and also for legal reasons in the fact that I had a full voiced cast that I did not pay, Making the cut in the early full cast audio uh, is all free and it will always be free because I don't anticipate ever being able to go back and pay everybody what they would be worth if I were if I were selling this for money.
4: If you could, would you?
0: I would. <laughs>
4: Let's talk.
1: <laughs> how do you go about deciding how much of sound effects to put into a given episode or... Let's say you decide yes, I want to use these footsteps mm-hmm.
0: these two How long do you do that? And do it's do that? Uh, I, there's like n- there's no official like rule of thumb until uh, you tr- start getting bored. Yeah, <laughs> <specifically> <laughs> you. Specifically right. You. Yeah, I mean I try to like if I'm looking at my my panel and I'm, I'm talking like a leery again. I always do. That. <laughs> <laughs> Most of my sound effects are between 5 and 15 seconds long. Um, and. Uh,
4: what I've noticed is that you use them to establish an environment, mm-hmm. but after the scene is rolling and you want people to focus on the dialogue, you're not using them anymore.
0: Exactly. That's
4: not the only way to do it, but that's the way you do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Can I add another piece to that answer? Go for it. Um, sometimes it's just not clear from the script. Um, it was, I mean, two, of the, two of the music cues that are in there, we...
0: We didn't
6: realize we needed to add until we actually read through the script yesterday.
1: Yep. By the way, that's the one who
0: composed the music. Yeah, Morning, <laughs> <Choser>. <laughs> This guy is amazing. And one more question. All right, thank you everyone for coming and keep it on the bright side.
6: You're also available
0: on Amazon, right? Uh, yeah, my yeah, e-book, my ebooks that. are available on Amazon, Kindle, and on Smashwords, and all and the paperbacks are available on Amazon.
5: So I suppose for future Balticons, we should put in the script the last little bit at the end where you tell everyone where you find your stuff and you pay for it. <laughs> yeah, At right.
6: a coda you can just after have a, the scene. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And that was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. The Metamorph City players, in order of appearance, were Patrick Scafito as Baron Tristan Halvard, D. Reed as Betty, August Grappin as a morgue attendant, Laura Nicole as Morgan Drowling, Nobilis Reed as a customer service rep, Elizabeth Resine as Isabel, Lauren Harris as Abby Preston, Sarah Testerosa as Kelsey Stanton, and Mildred Cady as Amelie Grace. In addition, Marnin Leibokoser provided original music for this performance. Huge thanks to all of you for your amazing work. And now it's time to check in on my writing endeavors. Here's your weekly writing report. I wrote 4,639 words this week over the course of 6.5 hours, for an average writing speed of 714 words per hour. As of Friday night, when I'm writing this script, I've gone 95 days without breaking my chain. I continued working on The Lost and the Least this week, as I'm trying to hurry up and get this story off to the beta readers. I'm now about two-thirds of the way through Chapter 49, and the manuscript is up to about 160,000 words. Over on the Patreon campaign, Ben Clifford is almost finished with this month's illustration. This one is from Things Unseen, and it shows Misty and Morgan in their fight with Zeke at the Kepler Pharmaceutical Labs. If you're a donor at the $3 level or higher, you can see the penciled version right now, and the inked version will be coming along for all patrons very soon. Remember, being a patron is the single best way to support this show, and to help me keep making it. It's easy, too. All you need is a PayPal account or a credit card. Just go to patreon.com slash author chris lester, take a look at the reward levels, and make a pledge today. And now, the feedback. Nobilis Reed wrote in with some feedback on a wizard family solstice. He says, I have a hard time believing that John would be surprised to find out that Artax was Esme's mother. If I were Artax's employee and I'd worked there for more than a few weeks, I'd probably say something like, oh, well, of course. I wouldn't have considered it before it was pointed out, but after seeing even a taste of the shenanigans Artax tends to get up to, it wouldn't have been as big a deal as John makes it. Unquote. Hi, Nobilis. I think the root of John's surprise here is twofold. First, he's been studying magic long enough by now that he feels like he understands the rules. So when Artax does something that totally breaks those rules as he understands them— it blows his mind a little. I liken it to when I was studying biology and I learned about slime molds for the first time. I'd spent years and years at that point learning about cells and how cells are the basic building blocks of all forms of life. And then here comes this creature where you've got millions of individual free-living cells that all come together, fuse, and become one giant cell the size of a dinner plate with millions of nuclei. It's not that such a thing is unimaginable, But it breaks all the rules that you were given for how biology is supposed to work, and the more you know about cells before you learn about slime molds, the more surprising they actually are. The second reason is, of course, because Artax and Tunstall have been together for about three years at this point, and John finds it kind of surprising that in all that time, Artax never even told him that he had a kid. Nobilis goes on to say... Heck, I wouldn't have been surprised if Artax had arranged for John to spend some time transformed in various ways, just so he could better serve the customers. Hmm, maybe that's a story that still needs to be written. Yes, that is definitely a thing that has happened, and I'd love for you to write that story. Lastly, Nobilis says, Also, I had a feeling Klepnos was involved with Artax. This was actually something that was revealed way back at the end of Make-Believe, when Klepnos showed up at the shop to see how Artax and Tunstall were getting along. Of course, that was before most of my listeners had read Divide by Zero, and I hadn't really shown much of the gods' involvement with the mortal world at that point, so it's totally understandable that folks forgot about it. Thanks for the letter. Shy Revzin posted this in the Fans of Metamore City Facebook group. Quote, Anyone interested in building an RPG campaign setting for Metamore City? That's also a question to you, Chris, with regard to copyright issues that may be associated with such an activity. It seems to me that all the excellent world-building that went into Metamore Keep and Metamore City makes this story universe a perfect setting for an RPG campaign. One would need a gaming system that can support urban fantasy games—GURPS comes to my mind— but I'd love to hear other ideas, and to gauge whether there's an interest in the community. Unquote. Hi, Shy. The question of a Metamore City RPG is one that seems to come up every year or two. I've looked into a few different possible systems, including D20 Modern, Fate, and most recently the Cypher system. I ruled out GURPS pretty early, because I think it's a difficult system to run as a game master, and its focus on mechanics over storytelling isn't really a good fit for the cinematic feel of metamore. I like the concept of Fate, but I've never seen how this system actually works in gameplay, so I don't know how a metamore version would play at the table. Cypher seems like it strikes a good balance between cinematics and mechanics. It might be the most promising option I've seen yet. In the end, though, I have to be realistic about the fact that I'm a novelist, not a game designer. If I tried to make a Metamorph City game, I don't think I'd be all that satisfied with the results, and that would also be time that I'm not spending writing more stories. If anybody does want to create a Metamore City homebrew campaign for your own players, that's just fine. You don't need any special permission for me to do that. Any content from the first season of the Metamore City podcast was released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, share alike license. So you can use any of that material as a basis for your game without running into any copyright trouble. However, if you want to make a Metamore City campaign setting and sell it to people, then you'd need to buy a license from me first. I'm more than willing to make this deal, though, so if anybody wants to take this on, please get in touch with me and let's talk. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is Fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And my Twitter handle is ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review on iTunes. It really makes a big difference in helping people find the podcast. That's all for this week. Come back next time for more writing goodness. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out.